Welcome to What's Your Voyage, a podcast where we have people on that are up to stuff and we chat about the voyage of their lives. Sponsored by the one and only The Adelaide Set. Thank you very much and enjoy. My co-host before our special guest today, we have George Alexander-Mamalas. Howdy, howdy. And William Twiss. Hey, guys. And your host, Hamish McLaughlin-Lester. And without further ado, I'm going to introduce to you Mr. John Carty. He is the man from the museum, the head of humanities. Tell us, how's your day been? I don't know. I've been stuck in meetings from like 9 o'clock until getting here. So apparently it rained today and I missed that, which is really sad because I like the rain and we need it. It's a bit um, weird with the La Nina this year. Like, yeah. People have been like, have we really had summer? Yeah. Well, we just had, I had a La Nina inside the museum today. So, <laughs> um, but no, it's been a good day. Good things are happening in the world. So, you know, 2021 is starting a little bit better than 2020. That's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. So tell us, what are some of the things, you know, not only as head of humanities, we'll get into like what that actually means, but like what's some of the things that you've done as part of your career to build yourself up to where you stand today? Yeah. Well, look, I know it's, I never planned to be a museum guy. I never planned to um, be the head of humanities at a museum. Um, I think when I was a kid, you know, I wanted to you know, write poems and, you know, run around in the bush and do or do other things. I think I went to uni to do arts, you know, which is getting harder and harder to do. Um, for all your Me all, too. I did arts as well. Yeah, see, we might be the last of our kind. <laughs> um, you know, which is an incredible way to, to educate yourself when you, when you want to have broad education in the world. Um, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so, you know, I studied philosophy literature, politics, um, and I was studying all those things and then I discovered this subject called anthropology, which just seemed to like take all of the politics and history and literature that I was learning about and put it into the context of human nature and um, Indigenous people from around the world. And I just realised all of a sudden that I wasn't just interested in sort of the, the Western canon of literature or, or music or things that I'd grown up with, even religion. Um, I was just much more interested in human nature. And so I ended up studying anthropology just out of curiosity. And then that led me to, I guess, realising I didn't know anything about my own country, if I'm honest. You know, So I'm, what, 21, 22, doing well at uni, get an honours degree in anthropology and still don't know anything about Australia and our Indigenous brothers and sisters here. So um, I think my life has been sort of... Um, pivoted from that moment of just going oh I can't swear yet can I oh, <laughs> oh damn oh damn I just felt really ignorant yeah just, just I just felt really ignorant I felt like a, a smart university educated young person who's had all the privileges you can get and I didn't know anything about my own country and so I just sort of um set about educating myself and mm-hmm. um so how'd you go about that uh, yeah was it like there was a defining <coughs> moment like was there like an item or something uh, you saw that unlocked this for you or was it kind of just like a you kind of grew into it in a sense yeah it's a it's a good question i um i was writing about uh indigenous art so i was at uni writing about indigenous art from all around the world south america africa and i just dipped my toe into trying to learn about aboriginal art in australia and it just 
So it was these paintings from Arnhem Land up in the top end that just mm. sort of shook some some neurons loose in my head and I went, how come I don't know anything about those? And I finished that bit of work and then I was sort of thinking about what I did with the rest of my life. Worked in a publishing house for a couple of years doing image permissions and making kids' books and things and then wanted to go much deeper into learning about Aboriginal culture. So I thought, you know, everyone has their own way. Some people it's art, some people it's football, some people it's travelling out bush, you know. We all find our way in, but... For me, um, art was a thing, was a language I could speak. And so I, I got, I decided to do a PhD on Aboriginal art because I thought that would be my way of, I felt really intimidated and, and ignorant and I didn't know how to begin. So I thought I'd begin with the thing that I knew a little bit about. Art. Yeah, art yeah. is a safe place, safe place to start. And, and so I, um, and I fell in love. I was reading, a, I remember the day I was flying maybe between Canberra and Sydney and I was, looking at a Qantas magazine there was these paintings from these painters out at Balgo which is a tiny little community out in the middle of the western desert and the most gobsmacking psychedelic mind-blowingly beautiful paintings I'd ever seen and I had that sense of how do I how am I like this old and I have never heard of this place I have no idea about these artists what's the place called again? Balgo Balgo B-A-L-G-O W-A yeah and so I I wrote to them, like I wrote to them and said, could I come and live with you? I'd really love to learn about your art. And 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 they said yes. The community arts centre there said yes. And I, so I ended up moving to Balgo as a young bloke and ended up living there for a few years. It's one of the most right. beautiful this places is, on earth. Like right, it's yeah. down the sticks, mate. Yeah. <laughs> okay, for anybody listening, I just looked it up on Google. This is like Western Australia, but like, North, Eastern, Western Australia, the closest like thing on a main road looks like Hull's Creek. Hull's Creek, oh. yeah. It's right near Wolf Creek Crater, actually. For anyone, right for anyone who's seen Wolf Creek. Yeah, Do you have, have to have permission to go to the Yeah, spot? so yeah, it's an okay. Aboriginal community. That's what I was saying, yeah. For your listeners, it's like imagine you draw a line between Broome and Alice Springs It's and and it's right in the middle. Yeah. So it's like a 12-hour drive from either place through the bush. How cool. So, what's, so what is the climate even like there? Hot. It's really hot. <laughs> is there like trees? Is it like a desert? Like I've never been to look up, look this up region. Google Balgo and I'll talk about it whilst you're doing it. Oh, it's okay. like this incredible red desert, but Balgo is built on a cliff and where the cliff falls away was an inland sea. You know, thousands and thousands of years ago. So there's these great red cliffs. It almost oh my god, is yeah, like that's you're beautiful. In, wow. Um, in people like are probably Death more Valley. familiar with Death Valley. That yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Fact. But you have these incredible <laughs> desert environments in Australia, and there all these incredible people live making just unbelievably great art. Anyway, so I went and lived there, this place that we're talking about as a young bloke. Um, for three or four years and I was wow. I wasn't very good I wasn't a very good anthropologist I just wanted to play footy and go hunting and watch people <laughs> paint so I just I I always felt a bit fraudulent as an academic I just but then I learned a lot and that that changed the way I thought about Australia because I was living with people who had a really different experience of of our country I grew up as a little middle class kid in in Melbourne you know I had no real sense of the rest of the country and um, so what kind of ideas kind of flourished out of that that were different about, you know, what it means to be Australian? It was, it was, it's hard to put it down to one idea. It was, it was quite a, an emotional probably transformation where I just went from being this smart-ass kid who was wanting to learn about art 
just someone who just realised I, I just had no grasp on half the story of the place where I grew up. You know, I just felt that sense of um, not an intellectual ignorance, but just some bigger kind it's of like ignorance. A humbling, yeah, kind of like the world. It's like that experience when you realise you don't know. It's like that. You same. really just don't know that when, much when you really don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like often we'll yeah. say, "Oh yeah, I don't know." No, know? but like when you're really like, "I yeah, don't know like that, anything." It's like, like the Sagittarian quote. It's like the the more you realise you know, the less you know. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think just being humbled, like you said, yeah. like that word, and so, and I think that just changed my life away from wanting to be an artsy guy or or an academic to being someone who just wanted to to honour those those guys who were my teachers and who were kind enough to you know as a little white fella to invite me into their world and teach me and grow me up and make me less dumb and so my life since that moment and so this is 20 years ago Mm -hmm. um uh my life since that moment has just been working with aboriginal community so working with that that community so we're we're about to put out a book on their history um later this year which is really exciting so it's taken 20 years but that that project of working out bush was like all i want to do with my life is work with these amazing artists and custodians and aboriginal um storytellers around the country to support them to tell their story because those stories are just mind-blowing and i regret that i didn't grow up with them i don't want my kids and my grandkids to not grow up with this understanding and this access to these incredible stories as well just out of curiosity so in terms of like the storytelling and the and the historical um nature of um first people how do they keep record or like how did you how do they keep record of the history was it more like passed down by word or was it in yeah, the so art it's itself a, or is it a bit of both yeah it's i mean it's um it, it changes it expresses itself differently around australia depending on the environment you know where you have great big rock walls then people document their culture in in painted form um where you have in the desert it's it's an oral tradition and so the memory of the country, both the moral and the geographic, the historic um, and the personal, they're all recorded in song. So you can imagine, like, you know, people have been in Australia, let's just say 60,000 years, that, that date um, will fluctuate over time and it'll keep getting pushed back. But if people have been passing down, a, you know Chinese whispers, right? Yeah. You can barely get around a room. Like, yeah. I can barely get around three friends without them buggering it up. Imagine telling a story for 60,000 years that, and that story helped you understand where the water was. Mm. It helped you understand who you could and couldn't marry. It helped you understand where you had to be at a certain time of year to get a certain food that would save your life. Yeah. And you had to tell that story for thousands and thousands and thousands of generations. Mm. Like, it's mind-blowing. I think, like, and these are the song lines. You know, often we talk about the dream time and it's, you know, it's pretty simplistic the way that we get taught about it. Mm. But if you understand it, most... Most people, you'd say, all right, you know what the Bible is. Yeah. The Bible, when we talk about songlines in Aboriginal Australia, is all of that knowledge, that moral, historical, ecological knowledge of the history of a place embedded in song. So, and those songs are a fun way to learn, right? In your head, and then they are sung wow. through ceremony and also as kids are learning. Yeah. And so songs are how you remember your culture, you know? And that's... People go, oh, geez, you know, the Great Wall of China's this huge thing or the Sydney Opera House. Like, they're just the most insignificant structures when you think about, like, the biggest structures on the, on the planet are these songs that Aboriginal people created so it's and, like and maintained. Kind of, in a sense. So, in terms of curiosity, like, of the European invasion, do you think a lot of these songs were lost? 
just through the like the you know the wars and all that what that occurred during yeah. that pro- that process. I think it's been a huge a huge um, corrosion of of yep. the capacity for families to pass on those songs. Yep. Both through violence, uh, through illness that came with those, you know, with the first invaders. Um, but say places like Balgo, those songs are incredibly strong. Um, okay. And there are places, even here in Arnhem, in, sorry, in Arnhem, but there are places in where we live today, like in Ghana country, where people are recovering um, language and song. It might have been corroded by history, but people often talk about songs and, and these ideas as not being lost, but just sleeping. Yep. And there's a way to there's a way to unlock come back it. to them and unlock it and and you know it's interesting that I ended up in a museum because in a way the museum's an archive of a lot of things that people keep coming back to to unlock. Yeah. Um, and people you know Aboriginal custodians come to the museum every day looking to find aspects of the stories that they want to um, share with with their kids and their grandkids and with the public and. You know. Have you noticed any like archetypal, you know, universalities between different indigenous cultures? Like some similar aspects within all cultures, and as one, like say, like South American indigenous and the you know, Australian indigenous. Did you notice any regu- like you know universal similarities in terms of the way things are conducted? Or there's there's not look there's, the one that is kind of universal is don't mess with your mother-in-law. Yeah, that comes really? across in most cultures. Really, don't mess with your mother-in-law. It's <laughs> amazing. Um, but no, look, there's. I think there's there's universal human things that just make us human. I think the need to tell stories, mm. the need to find a story for ourselves that places us and helps us make sense of a place, and whether that gets called religion or that gets called mythology or it gets called you know social media or whatever happens yeah. we're all telling stories we're storytelling machines and so every culture does it we just break up the world really differently um, and we tell a story that makes sense to us and I think um, that's the thing that I notice and it's the same across Aboriginal Australia is is the relationship between people and place okay. so whether it's a rainforest whether it's the Ghana plains here whether it's the desert people are always telling a story about how they belong to a place, not how the place belongs to them. And there's yep. this deep kind of ecological sensibility across the continent. In terms of that, the only real story I know is like, obviously... This is Tatum, By the way, Tatum Knowles has just entered the building. Hey, guys, sorry I'm late. So this is the other co-host <laughs> that we regularly have. profound stuff. Oh, no. We can't go back over it. <laughs> okay, I'll rewatch it. <laughs> um, just, yeah, to go into stories, for example, I learned recently in Kangaroo Island, it was known the Land of the Dead. Is mm. that Kana? I think it's... Land of the Dead because there were um, people there 3,000 years ago but they just disappeared and I'm not sure if we know why like people disappeared from that land yeah look I think I think there were there were definitely I mean there's been sea level rises that have changed that have turned places like Tasmania into islands or the Torres Strait they used to be a land bridge to Papua New Guinea so um, with sea level rises, you know, sort of twelve thousand years ago, yeah. that was happening around the continent. So yeah. mm. and the formation of the Kurong and yeah, yeah. so so the, the land changed really significantly ten to twelve thousand years ago. And what's fascinating, what's super fascinating, is that there are um, dreaming narratives that map that changing coastline. Wow. So there are, and that makes the dreaming narratives that we're talking about again, which have been passed down for at least ten to twelve thousand years, like the the oldest religious narrative on yeah. the planet yeah. like oldest stories the oldest told. stories continuously on the planet and there's older ones the further you get into Australia but even just around the coast and that makes you realise that these dreaming stories aren't they're not myths they're actually 
a system of knowledge yeah. that's that's being passed on. Well, I heard about um, I think it was in the Americas of cultures that didn't actually have uh, they didn't have numbers and they didn't have directions like left and right, but they just had this like intrinsic connection with north, south, east and west and they were able to just know exactly which way is north, exactly which way is Dogon east. Dogon people. Where, uh, yeah, the Dogon people, Dogon. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, right. And they were also the first to map, actually, yeah, Africa. Dogons yeah, are in Africa. Africa. Yeah, um, yeah, right. The first to um, map out the astrology like a few thousand years before anybody else. Yeah. They had a yeah. fantastic understanding of um, like, astrology, astronomy. Like. This and this is it. Like the the further you go back into like the diversity of human cultures, the more you just look at us and go, oh. yeah, mm-hmm. it's like everything. Which is really like people map uh, things out a long, long time ago, and we still. But that's human nature, isn't it? Like mm. we each generation has to like go mm, yeah. for themselves. Kind of map. My favorite kind of map. I think we were just talking about this before you. Uh, I was just saying no but I was saying like the whole um, to these guys like the thing that strikes me is like what we don't learn at school is like this whole continent like where we're sitting now and anywhere you've ever been in Australia is mapped in song like every single part of Australia has a song attached to it some of those songs have been lost some of them are sleeping some of them are sung all the time um, but every single corner of our continent had a song that was sung for it, every place. And that was a form of mapping all of the significant places and all of the ecological and sort of moral knowledge that that you needed to live there and make yourself at home there. And so I think my favourite map is the fact that Australia is just covered with this map that no one can see. A song map. I've never heard of that before. I know, that's yeah. pretty wild. That's amazing. All right, well, let's go to a break to our sponsors. And then after that, let's get into how, like, us as Adelaideans can all interact with this history in a way that is coming that's very exciting in the form of a $200 million Aboriginal cultural arts a gallery center what do, what do you formally it, name it it's, it's like, bigger than any of it's those like things. Of hope. it's like a hub. beacon it's a of precinct hope. yeah <laughs> it is a light mr john cartion and we're speaking about indigenous dreamtime right now and in particular the rainbow serpent serpent dreamtime story that was this story that was across the indigenous cultures and mapped out the rain areas of the whole continent and as we all know like australia is extremely dry and it's a very profound thing to map all that out not only you know it's through language and shared across a whole continent of people so did every single like community have this same story well yeah that's where you know why i was why i was sort of raising it before um we were off air is is most people don't have the same story so because you you're in a rainforest or you're in a desert you need a different story to survive in that you need different dream time ancestral beings to hold that 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 story for you and to tell it but the rainbow serpent you know is universal because everybody in australia has needed rain it's such a dry continent and and that that image of this arcing kind of form in the sky after rain is is such 
the thing that people waited for and needed and longed for. So it became the story of water is the most important story probably in the whole continent. And so it's not surprising in a way that um, that's the one that's universal. That's mm. the one that you find in, in, in so many of the groups across the continent, whereas other groups will just have a very, you know, they'll have this story, this story, this story, and it won't relate at all to a group further north. But, yeah, the Rainbow Serpent. You also find, like, the Seven Sisters. So in, in Greek mythology, you know, the Pleiades, mm. um, the Seven Sisters also occur in Australia, and they're That's in the rocks. night sky, and, the, and they appear as rocks, they appear as trees, but they are the Pleiades in the night sky, and you see that's, that story gets mapped by different indigenous groups from the Pilbara through the desert, through central Australia into Queensland. You know, when I was talking about the Great Wall of China earlier being, you know, I mean, it's good, <laughs> but there's bigger structures bigger human structures right here in our country that we can't even see and and they're these songs there's these stories and yeah i i just think like this is my job but i never lose lose wonder at how profound that is like it's yeah. just unreal i'm definitely picking up on that because one thing i've been spewing out to like all my friends for years is like art creates culture culture creates mindset and it's like what you're saying is the epitome of like that in a culture like done like it's happened so it's a, yeah, and like, it's a very they got it, got like, it right yeah and, like it, you know where there's a lot to learn from for, it and for like tens of thousands of years you know like exactly. not even for like a couple hundred years or like oh this art just affected one generation like no this is survival huge this is it when you understand art as survival like you stop worrying about you know galleries and yeah. things on walls and you have a sense of art as being about the essence of what it is to be human mm. It's the essence of religion. It's the essence of all these things. How do you make a shared image, a shared story that we can all work with, that we can all get our heads around? That's all anyone's ever tried to do, you know? Um, just go back to when you're in town for a couple of years. Did you get to experience some really more, you know, indoctrinated, hardcore Aboriginal stuff? You know, did you get to live, spend time with elders and, you know, see ceremonies and stuff like that? Yeah, look, I was really lucky that that I I guess I lived with um, with people who were really um, generous to me, like you know, and I and I was lucky and privileged to be, um, I guess, involved in in seeing um, ceremony and and in seeing you know going hunting and and being a part of people's worlds. And yeah, that's a a process of of trust. But it was, I guess, you know, we we're talking about being humbled earlier. Like I think the greatest thing you can you, the greatest humbling thing you can do is for someone to show you the thing that's most important to them, you know. And so, for the people that I love and you know consider friends and family out in the desert, to have um, to have them share their religious you know world with me um, is you know it's quite a yeah something that's that's really hard to put into words, but something that I really treasure and that probably. Um, Underwrites the work that I do today, which is this sense of responsibility to to honour that gift and to be a useful white fella, you know, to be a useful human being who can make sure that 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 culture, not just in the desert in Belgo, but but everywhere around the country, that people have an opportunity to engage, uh, you know, respectfully and and um, find a way to step in. You know, I think we, we were sort of talking earlier about how hard it is. It's a bit intimidating. Or you feel like you don't want to appropriate or do the wrong thing when working with Aboriginal cultures. Nobody wants to, you know, do the wrong thing. But sometimes that paralyzes people from doing anything. 
Yeah. So we just don't we don't get engaged because we don't want to stuff it up. Yeah, I feel that's I think, yeah, fair. That's and I think that's the story of Australia. Like 100%. that's the story of our parents and our grandparents. Mm. Is like we don't want to muck it up. So you know we we'll just, just not keep a safe it. distance. <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah. that's I don't want to be a part of that. Like I don't yeah. want I don't want to be someone who perpetuates that silence. Even so, if I stuff things up or yeah. even if I make a mistake, it'll be through a desire to engage and a desire to be involved desire to to understand and yeah. you know i think to be able to share that build that confidence in our in our friends in our peers in our mm, audiences is, you know, so what kind of things can we expect from the north terrace site that's uh being created and like what kind of stories can we expect like it's a huge building how do we feel it yeah wow great story so there's a step before that so what hamish is sort of talking about i guess some people will have seen it on the news this week is uh, the Premier's announced the new Aboriginal Art and Culture Centre that's going to be built down on the old Royal Adelaide Hospital site, um, just down from Africola, next to the Botanic mm. Gardens. Everyone knows it's one yeah. of the most beautiful spots. So that's that's going to be the most significant cultural institution in Australia mm. in five years' time when it opens. And that's because it's going to be the place in Australia that... Ta- like, the things we're talking about here today... There isn't an institution dedicated to just telling these stories. So telling the 60,000 years of Aboriginal custodianship and land management and fire regimes and and how that all relates to the dreaming and to religion and ceremony. There isn't that institution. There isn't the institution that tells the last 250 years as well of that really complex history that we're all inheritors of. And then there isn't that institution that just tells this incredible art history which is what I started out being interested in, which is this is the longest art history on the planet as well. You know, we've got 30,000, 40,000-year-old um, rock art in the Pilbara or in Arnhem Land and mm. the greatest contemporary art in the world coming out of the APY lands and, and Aboriginal artists all around the country today. And we need a place to share that story. So there's these incredibly huge stories. And in, a, in, a, in an airport hangout, not far from where we're sitting. All of those stories are sitting in a in a shed. There's 30,000 artefacts in the South Australian Museum, art and artefacts, that aren't on display. Oh. There's 2 million archaeological artefacts in the shed next door to that that aren't on display. Oh, wow. So that's we have this single... <laughs> like, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. It makes me kind of want to explore it. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I should actually... Cool stuff. Another time... We should all go down and I'll, I'll take you guys for a visit so you can get your heads around it. Wow. It's amazing. Added, it's is that something watch. that we'd be allowed to vlog? Or is that more of a personal experience? Yeah, no. Yeah, I think there's a way to do it that would be respectful. It would be really great for people to know about it. more of a documentary um, style. But I think... So, like, most people don't... Most people in Australia don't know this is here. So this is the single greatest cultural collection in the country. Yeah. And for me, for someone like me who cares about Aboriginal culture so deeply, I think it's one of the greatest collections on the planet like you can look at the British Museum the Louvre Mm. there's all these places Mm. there's nobody who can tell the story that we can tell of 60,000 years of continuous human genius and so they're all in a hangar (laughs) near the airport a leaky hangar and that's so when you say what's going to go into lot 14 how are we going to build a really extraordinary storytelling machine there 
well, that's what's going to go in there. So it's not just about the objects, but it's about the, the massive stories that they tell. And, you it, know? and how are those stories going to be told? Are they going to be just like boards that we read kind of thing? Or are they going to be like full video experiences with like conversations? Like, yeah, amazing. how inac- in- yeah. interactive? I think, yeah, look, I think like, that... Because pre- I love interactive. Yeah, interactive. <laughs> it's a super yeah. question. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, we need it to be digital. It's like, what does that mean? Is that just Is it just a video? I think the thing now is getting beyond even VR mm. and augmented things and, and these kind of questions to what is interactivity? Like what would it be to immerse yourself physically in an environment or in an experience that, that made you realise how painful that history was, mm. how beautiful that country was, how extraordinary that panel of rock art was? Like what are the experiences and what are the technologies that we need to create it? And so I think the exciting thing about Lot 14 is you've got this innovation hub there. You've got a lot of people looking at how can we change the way that we tell stories yeah. through, through technology. Well, the most so we would hope to be working really, really closely with probably technologies that we haven't even quite got yet. Yeah. Just, just well, out of you curiosity, know. could you almost implement like similar strategies how like Greek, Roman mythology and all that has been... Like that's quite... It's universal, like that stuff is. You can hear about Greek culture, Roman culture, anywhere across the world. If you create some sort of art and storytelling that is similar but not the same, obviously with respect to the differences in culture, that would be a great way—not just to teach Australians, but the whole world. Because I'm sure, like a lot of the world, also doesn't understand like how vast the history is here. Like, there's incredible history here, like sixty thousand years plus, maybe even seventy thousand years. Yeah. That's just untold and not many people know about. So how do you reckon the essay would be open to doing stuff like that more? Well, I think I think that's the idea is that this institution will, one, it'll be a place that Aboriginal people have mm. uh, a lot of control over and that they will be able to share this story with, mm. with the nation. Mm. Then yeah. the nation is able to share this story with the world. I yeah. think most people coming to Australia, if you look at the tourism statistics, most people coming here want to have an experience of Aboriginal Australia. There's a huge demand. I think it's it's crazy. It's like 83% or something. People want that. But we can't... We don't service it very well. Mm. And I think there's an opportunity for South Australia to become sort of the the gateway to that experience for international tourism when the planes come back. Um, You know, but (laughs) for now, like, I mean, imagine this, like, you know, you guys are only recently out of school, but imagine if you were at school like, my daughter just recently had to go to Canberra to go to, like, Questacon and the Mint yeah. and the War mm-hmm. Memorial. That was their cultural yeah. tourism. Yeah, we all Imagine if every kid in Australia had to come to Adelaide and they got to spend a couple of days with all these Aboriginal educators and Amazing. leaders in sure. this... Which teaches you that thing that we never got as kids, which is mm-hmm. to be interested and curious and feel a part of the story of this country, mm-hmm. you know? To feel like that Aboriginal story is something that we're all part of and we need to get our heads around. For sure. Like... That would be a better Australia. Hey. Well, That'd be cool. Touching on Very that, good. have you seen Samson and Delilah? Yeah. The film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, growing up since you four, I, um, I was studying Indigenous um, subjects and stuff yeah. like that because uh, my background is also Indigenous, my grandfather was. Uh-huh. And with studying and through film, I think the best way, touching on your topic before, of not many people not knowing much or they don't really know how to step between that grey area of do we do something, do we not do something, Mm. do we leave it alone? I think film, especially within South Australia, is such a good way to be able to represent that through 
all aspects of the sad, the good, everything. Yeah, I, I agree. So, I think most people in Australia that have been transformed have been have had a Sanson and Delilah mm. kind of experience. So there's a couple of films out at the moment as well. This the Higher Ground, I think, has just come out, and I think that films are really democratic medium. Mm. Like it may, you don't have to read, you don't have to spend four hours in a museum. You can sit and see a film with your friends and just be overwhelmed. Mm. And I yeah. think there's something that it also allows Aboriginal um, storytellers, you know, like yeah. David Goldpool and some of these storytellers, to look you in the eye and tell you a story in a way that we all crave but don't know how to access. And mm. So I think film's a really transformative medium. I think you're right. Yeah. We need to figure out how we... Mm. How we, we do more of that okay. and how we utilize it at Lot 14. Well, I don't even think it all needs like to be digital. It doesn't even all need to be digital. Like when we went to um, Germany well, the, and we went to Auschwitz, oh, like yeah. that was like it's a museum today, right? That was a, and that was yeah. one of the most like impactful museums I've ever been to. They didn't have an ounce of digital. Why? Why was it that impactful? Because you were standing there in front of just. Like shoes, hair, huge human hair, human carpet. Like, yeah, like like it was. Real, it was just very, like very real. It was so real, so yeah. confronting. Huge Skin, numbers, yeah. like, and obviously that's something that's horrific. And there is a side of you know the the history of Australia that needs yeah. to be shared about that. Yeah. But also like, like how could that be done with the positive you know, history that there is of the indigenous? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, and I, I think that's I think that's the vision for for what we do. Yep. You know, at the Aboriginal Art and Culture Centre is that we need to find a way to celebrate all the extraordinary things. Like yep. I think, um, you know, and there's there's thirty thousand of them in the shed across the road. So there's plenty of things. But I think you know it goes to that other question. You know, there's got to be a bit of truth telling first. Mm. Like it's, I think one of the reasons maybe a lot of us don't know how to engage is kind of we know a lot of bad things happened. Yeah, must have happened by virtue of our history. Yeah. But we don't know how to talk about that. We don't mm. learn how to talk about that. And therefore, it's really hard to celebrate the great stuff, to yep. celebrate all the extraordinary achievements of Aboriginal people because there's this silence. Yeah. And so I think that what we want to see is an opportunity to invite everyone into that silence as well and say, okay, this is our shared history. We move on together. But we yep. only move on by telling the truth about it. 100%. And so I think this place will be a place of truth-telling that allows that moment to be had by everyone who walks through the door, mm-hmm. but then allows those same people to go and share in the wonder and the pride and the curiosity at all of these Aboriginal achievements. Well, and so the, there's a, the two things happen together almost. And That's what I was getting back to, just um, like, for example, with the storytelling for universal storytelling. It's like if you say to someone, yeah, everyone knows who Hercules is, everyone knows who like the, the gods are, like the demigods, it'd be great to have that as a... Like in the education system, because like I'm sure there's all these gods and figures that, like hero- heroic figures that were like did these amazing archetypal yeah, stories yeah. that would sit with all of us. I'm like, yeah, that guy I mean, or that girl, like we would know it. I think that's a huge part of what's missing in terms of education in Australia, because not many. I, like, I just it's not universal. Yeah, like, like, who are the legends? Yeah, the legends. Yeah, like the story legends, the <clears throat> the gods, the yeah. That would be a great tool, I think, in terms of having that moving on forward. Like, I think that's what could be missing. Well, there are systems in place for that, but at the moment with schooling and the education system in Australia, it's more focused on Indigenous people receiving that than actually globalising it to everyone. So if you are obviously Indigenous, um, if you have Indigenous background or a Torres Strait Islander, 
there's systems in place when you're in primary school where you can have a tutor or someone there for you that makes you feel more comfortable in your school. There's lots of things like that going on. Um, but in regards to the Northern Territory, what's your opinion on that area? I'd, I'd love That's to know. That's a big question, the Northern Territory. <laughs> what, what part of it? It's a good well, state. I missed, out a, I missed out a bit of what you're up to and where you've been and all that kind of thing. What's, ah, yeah, so... In regards to the Northern Territory, what, yeah, what oh, about it do you know? I think she's referring to, because I've, I've also talked to the people in Kuriyula, they talked about there's an incredible history of, um, you know, unity, and also, but there's also separatist movements as well that are happening within Australia, mm. especially in the Aboriginal community, some communities. How do we best, in your opinion, um, create at least a, a doorway into getting back as one in terms of that? Well, I, I think it's tied to that... that um, the thing we were talking about just now, I think there's a, I think there's, um, Aboriginal people around Australia are really, really different groups. Mm. Like people in southwest of WA don't speak a language that that's going to make any sense to someone in Arnhem Land, and someone in Arnhem Land doesn't necessarily speak a language that makes sense to to people in Ghana country. So there's this incredible diversity of, of political and and religious diversity, like Europe. Yeah, you know, and you don't expect everyone in Europe to just unify. And so, I think there's a great diversity in Aboriginal Australia that um, that needs to be. It's never going to be um, uh, flattened out into being Aboriginal. Like yeah. we talk about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, we talk about First Nations people, different language groups. That diversity is what makes Australia so unbelievably interesting and fascinating as as a as a continent, and I think what what we need is a truth-telling um, mechanism that allows everyone to feel like we're telling the same story for once. Yeah. So everybody faced violence. Everyone faced yeah. the encroachment of, of colonisation. Everyone suffered, every Aboriginal group. And I think when we can tell that story together, black and white, um, everyone will recognise that there's a process going on that we can all see has integrity, mm. that has a way for us to tell stories together. And then it's much easier to tell all the good stories. Mm. Yeah. So I think, for me, unity is not so much about um, getting everyone on the same page, but about having, a, having an honest intention about how we talk about our history, and then everyone can come to that in their own way. Well, just for um, the sake of our audience and, and for us here today, what are some takeaways that you would offer to the public that would be like, okay, how do we have like a way of speaking, communicating about what you just, you know, how, like obviously the history that was being quite dark, yeah, yeah. also all the bright stuff, because obviously at the end of the day, we want to get to the, the amazing bright stuff of that 60,000 years, all those, that art, these songs, like there's so much extraordinary stuff there waiting to be discovered. How do we get to that in a way that's respectful and also efficient so it's not we're not lagging too much and sitting here in misery for so long you know <laughs> well i think i think what we're trying to do at, at on north terrace is fast track that process for the mm. nation is to create a place where you can go icon yeah create a place where you can go where everyone can go where every school kid can go every tourist everyone's slightly racist uncle like mm. you know yeah everyone can you go there and you go okay yeah okay this is the story i've been waiting for my whole life mm. and i have a chance to step into it and i'm invited to step into it so i think that's five years away so this this um mm. aboriginal art and culture center will open in 2025 yeah well four years away and yeah, what's probably, your but... what's your place in the creation of this 
I don't know yet. My my job is simply to support it, you know. So like I'm currently sort of I guess um, responsible for a lot of the collections that will end up in that institution. Mm. But I think that institution, and so you know, hopefully I have a, a really positive role to play in in sharing those and supporting um, the storytelling. But also, you know, as a as a white fella, as the museum guy, it's also a moment in time where I have to go right. It's not my story mm. to tell. So my job now is to make sure that uh, I'm supporting Aboriginal curators and writers and artists and storytellers to be the ones who tell that story. Um, really and it, listening. Yeah. So if anything, I hope that's that will continue to be my role. Is is sort of um, creating space, creating yep. spaces for that next so generation, facilitating the 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 capture of the essence of the, the culture and art yeah I mean the stories are out there yeah. and they're mind blowing and everybody wants to hear them um, we just have to find you know the right medium the in, right mechanism in terms of story there was an interesting story I came across a couple of years ago it was originally posted by the advertiser it's the first time I ever saw it and um, it was an article claiming that there was almost like a massive Stonehenge um, structure in New South Wales big one bigger than the one in the UK and it was supposedly built by Aboriginal um, culture in that area and what happened was that this structure was on farmland and the farmer was threatened by the government to have this land taken away so he went ahead and bulldozed the structure over and completely destroyed it and the article just like had like a generated image of what it looked like and the history of it and all this stuff. Have you heard anything about this before? It's, it's in. I knew it was in New South Wales so region, and it was yeah, really yeah. remarkable. <coughs> huge. It was two, stru- st- two like basically two stone hinges attached and massive structure mapped out to towards the stars as it well. Wasn't in New South Wales, is that? Yeah, it was in New South Wales apparently. This structure and the article was there for about a day, and then it disappeared. I could never find the article again. But if you Google, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that the article disappeared. Yeah, and I found that really because I, I don't know that story. Yeah. Um, and maybe the fact that the article disappeared meant there were some variations in it. Yeah. Oh, there's the rain. There we go. I missed mining, it all day. And now I get to see. Mining companies have been doing that kind of stuff. Well, I was going to say, I think yeah. Jukan yeah. and Gorge happened yeah. only last yeah, year. Yeah, that was heck, I mean, horrendous. Yeah. Rio Tinto was so, all, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Rio Tinto. And look, that, this is a daily occurrence. Like, and mm. I think if we're honest, like the last 240 years have just been of, you know, Destruction. Various sacred sites and stone, other kinds of stone structures, other kinds of, um, I guess, Aboriginal forms of, of land sculpture and, and artistic and religious practice being um, made subject to, you know, sheep and wheat. Mm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the history of South Australia. Sheep, sheep and wheat. And, you know, sheep and wheat. And so all these, all these incredible places that are, are, and they're still here, those places are still here, but maybe the, the obvious structures that might have identified them are, are harder to see. Yeah. But um, that happened all around the country. So the big Stonehenge one that you're talking about, I don't know that story, but the principle is true. And so I think the really, the really fascinating question facing Australians going forward is, is how much would we allow this to continue on our watch you know like places like the bar up uh in western australia the stuff that happened at juk and gorge there's big questions about how we're going to support aboriginal people to protect them this evening we have a special guest on the head of humanities for the museum john carty how you doing 
I'm still going well. You're still going well? You've been enjoying this I mean, last 50 minutes? I am enjoying our chat. We should do this more. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Just quickly, because we've only got a few... we got about solid minutes we got left. like nine, seven, seven minutes I want to talk about the Papua New Guinea exhibits in the museum. <laughs> Are you involved with much with that as well? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. technically responsible for them. I'm not an expert on that area. Okay, okay. Yeah. So um, they've always enjoyed them as a kid. Very fascinating. And that, that area that they're situated and it's very that's quite cool um it's cool yeah it's really yeah so i love that area and just thinking with that area have there been events utilized in that area to like kind of like showcase the art and also create some sort of cultural <coughs> event management like where you can mix the two together or is that kind of frowned upon yeah no i mean increasingly i mean what is there's a long answer to that short answer short answer is it's one of the most amazing collections of sort of Pacific art. So we have the greatest collections of Aboriginal art and culture in the world. Wait, so this is this stuff upstairs? Yeah, it's yeah, the upstairs. Yeah, yeah okay, on the left. Yeah, super old school, old. Like, it looks like a museum yeah. of a museum. Yeah, it hasn't really changed cool. in 100 years. No, it hasn't. Yeah. So you, if, if you went there as a kid, <laughs> same you know, you take your kids, your grandkids back, it's the same room. Yeah. Um, which is some, sometimes that's what people love about museums. Yeah. But also it's a sense of, hey, there's a really, there's a kicking Pacific community here in Adelaide who are really interested in all that stuff and they would love to, to do events and, and do... Um, do things up there so there's there's a um we've got a, a new sort of um world cultures researcher um steven zagala who's working in oh, yeah. that with those collections at the moment and he's working with all the pacific communities in adelaide to think about how we um, reimagine that space keep what's amazing about it but also mm-hmm. create new opportunities to have to animate it like yeah. you say to have events to have pacific island it's uh, iconic, isn't it? That, that area is just so it's so it's it's really iconic. It's like I think it goes down in Adelaide. Adelaide's like great one of Adelaide's greatest historical rooms. Like it's yeah, just got people such people love the the Egyptian room and yep. the Pacific room. Yeah, I yeah. love the Egyptian, Egyptian room. Yeah, yeah. And they're the two rooms. Like, man, well, maybe we could modernise those. And everyone's like, no, don't, <laughs> don't you touch it. You you from the east. So in terms of the um <laughs> the, the area that you guys have done some renovations a lot in terms of the Aboriginal area, which is on the so, like the right side as you walk in. Yep. Um, is there anything new coming up, uh, or is that going to be saved for the the new? Like, is that is that yeah. and is that stuff going to be moved? Yeah, yeah. So look, okay. it's, it's we don't know the answer completely because yeah. it's a work in progress that we we'll yeah. have to work out with with um, all the partners on North Terrace and with the Aboriginal um, custodians around the, the country as well. But the idea for us is that what happens at Lot Fourteen is you build this place that tells the greatest story never told mm-hmm. in Australia about yeah, Aboriginal it's a circle, culture, isn't it? As well, yeah. And then in the current side of the museum, you know, which is just a classic, awesome, yeah. you know, yeah, vintage cool. museum, you really double down on that by looking at what's the role of a museum in society today. So looking more at um, the natural history of South Australia, looking more at the biodiversity, looking at climate change, looking at mammals. Like we have these incredible collections that tell you not just the last, you know, couple of hundred years, but but the last 500 million years oh like we have the origins of animal life in our museum the the Ediacaran yeah. kind of fossils yeah. so there's this story to tell that is equally as mind blowing but quite different in that it's got more of the focus on science and the classic sort of natural history museum so I think what we'll do is probably as the Aboriginal stories become more focused down the road yeah. we'll still weave them through because I think stories of yeah. the rainbow serpent stories of deep time knowledge are critical to thinking about Australia's environmental future yeah. so Aboriginal knowledge is not separate from that and that'll be a huge part of the museum but we'll have to reimagine what a museum is 
for this day and age. Yeah. And, and that's a really exciting project that's got to happen at the same time as the Aboriginal Centre as well. It's pretty difficult, especially with all our attention spans being, you know, pretty quick and pretty, like... Well, there's actually interesting studies yeah. coming about. This last two years has actually been a, a peak, an extension of extension spans. So it's actually, there's a correlation of statistics saying we actually are paying more attention now. Like, podcasts are now the popular format, not so yeah. much the quick seconds anymore. So yeah. we're moving towards, I think the lockdowns have been a big factor of that. Same with literacy, because more people are reading online. Yeah, yeah e-books actually, are picking up, everything. Yeah. So I'll tell you a story about this, because this, this goes back to your question of the technologies that we use and how we tell stories in this new place, but how we're going to captivate a generation and a and hundred generations to come with this story. Like that, the technology will evolve. Mm. First show I did here when I arrived five years ago was a show called Yiraki, which was about didgeridoo in, in Arnhem Land. And we, we ripped out all the walls. We didn't have any labels. We didn't have any of the kind of normal white fella architecture that yeah. people say, I want to read a label. I want to know what that is. You want to go into a museum. None of it. So all of it was was oral. So you walked into a forest of these instruments and all of you, you the label was the sound of the instrument playing as it was triggered as you walked past it. So I like we, that. and people spent like heaps more time. Most people go into a room in a museum and spend like two to four minutes. It was and like reading, spend, you get so tired. People were spending like an hour and a half, two hours in that exhibition because yep. they didn't have to read anything. Yeah. They could just learn in a different way. Is that kind so of what they, they did at Mod? They did it that Mod, they had Mod's a very interactive... Yeah, yeah, Mod's a great museum for... And they are really targeted at a, yep. a new generation of, of how we learn and how we like to receive information. Yeah, We're all curious. Like, we all want more, mm. but... You know, we're learning to receive narratives really differently than, than what our, our parents and grandparents yeah. did. Because I always and forget so, when I read it. <clears throat> like, I yeah, always forget. Really. Like, I'll go through a whole museum and I'll remember, like, some things, but, like, I read everything, but I only retain, like, a few of the things. Yeah, and but I'm what like, do you Damn. remember? You remember those shoes. The you shoe. remember something when you feel oh, it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I remember the you shoes. Remember I remember the font. when you feel it. <laughs> yeah, like the ice wall. <laughs> Memories. Oh, the ice wall. Yeah, man, I love the ice wall. <laughs> See, you bloody well remember the ice wall. You wouldn't remember anything yeah. in anything in yeah. the yeah. original yeah. galleries, but you remember the this ice wall. That's why Disneyland is so good. Yeah. Just oh, quickly, I really want to get on this Massive subject. We're going to put an ice wall at stories about the megafauna, all those paleontologists out there, the megafauna of... And the stories, do they cor- correlate? Are there stories of the megafauna and people living with the megafauna? Yeah, yeah what yeah. a megafauna. So, I, so megafauna, for your listeners, are the really big Australian mammals that were here um, 40, 45,000 years ago. Oh, so was... Diprotodon, big giant wombatty type thing, yeah, that's big kangaroo. Giant wombats. Yeah, like giant, the size like, of tanks, like, like a horse. And, and um, Thylaca leo, which is the marsupial lion. Yeah. Which what? is basically, I reckon, where maybe where drop bears came from. Yeah, because it's this, mm. it's this koala that attacks you with giant claws. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so cool. Wow. Tasmanian tigers. So Australia's full of, and Jenny Ornus, which is a huge, yeah. like double the size kind of emu. And can, massive kangaroos. Like How do you spell Thylaca leon? I really want to see if T H Y T H Y L A C L E O. It's always funny when you see one of those kangaroos and it's like there's a bit of Everyone, everyone is googling it around Adelaide yeah. right now <laughs> three <laughs> meter but it's a beautiful so these animals are, were here in Australia mm. that they coexisted with we know they coexisted with humans how'd they die because our Aboriginal people were here and, and these animals were here at the same time because wow. there's rock art um, mm. depicting Jenny Ornus and rock art depicting That's some nice. of these creatures but you also see I think some of the dreaming stories remember these these big, mm. a lot of the dreaming stories are about these big ancestral beings who shaped the country. Yep. And you can imagine that mm. that this has been a really formative 
part of that. But there's also there's also stories. I won't go into them because it's not always my place to speak for yeah, someone's story. So I won't go into the detail. But yeah, there are stories that I've heard that make me think. Well, that sounds like mm. your 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 language group has remembered another kind of creature that's no longer here. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's that goes so back to that linguistic history, like like the Great Wall Charm, but the it's like a paleontological storytelling of an animal that. But yeah. it's not here anymore, but we it's free here but it's for stories. Remembered. Yeah. It's remembered. Do we know how these things died? Uh there's it's different it's, theories. It's hard. There's, there's like a whole like, range of theories. There's a so there's the former director of the museum. The former director of the museum, Tim Flannery, is quite a famous scientist. Mm. Uh, he he proposed that sort of Aboriginal people hunted them out. Mm, yeah. Um, but subsequently there's other theories. And I'm not a, I'm not an expert on on big animals, so I'm not gonna pretend. But yeah. there's other theories that climate change yeah. and, and other um, other <laughs> competitive animals coming into the environment. Has there been bones found? Yeah, well, there's a yeah. really great section in the museum. Come to the, go see. <sighs> yeah. yeah, great, great sales. <laughs> <laughs> come, come to the, come to the museum, and fanboy here will give you a tour of the, of the giant. Only just, me guys. Just, just, but just well, like the you. giant, the giant wombat, the diprotodon is there. Yeah. The giant, like oh, these things are real. Wait, how long have, have they been there for a long time? Ages. Just yeah, you just haven't gone upstairs yet. We'll do it. We'll do another tour where I take you through. Yeah, that island yeah. of South America, the Galapagos. <laughs> that is still. Is this a, a Jurassic Park <laughs> story or is this a series of animals story? there that don't exist anywhere else? Eh? Yeah, Galapagos Islands. That's yeah, yeah. because that basically as an evolutionary yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of quarantine space where those animals evolved there, but yeah. they couldn't get to other places. Mm, the the word uh, quarantine, a word we are all familiar with over this last year. Quarantine, yeah. yeah. Also, okay, so we got to wrap it up. Is yeah. there anything you would like to say before we go off the air? No, nah, uh, well, one, thanks for having me. It's really nice to talk to you guys and, and to talk to your audience. And I guess, you know, based on the, what we've been talking about, is just I would really encourage people to be brave, to take an interest, to read a book, so go and see a film, go and see Samson Tyler, come to the museum, get excited about, rather than hesitant about, the development of, of Aboriginal narratives and Aboriginal stories in this town. This town, you know, Tandanyanga is a, it's the place of the red kangaroo. Mm. We're talking about dreaming stories from everywhere else, but this place has dreaming stories. This place has custodians. This place is has got an incredible story that, you know, that we all need to be a part of and find a way towards that in the future. And I think if people can come to the museum, get excited about that, and then, and then be even more excited about what we're going to do over the next five years, Facts. then... Read, read a couple of books between now and then and that's all also when and where can we find the book you've been working on the last 20 years <laughs> that, mate, we'll, we'll do another we'll do another interview when it comes out it's going to come out probably in, in uh, August September but okay. a, book of the, a book about Balgo and yeah, about cool. all those artists and their history um, <laughs> that'll be out in a, in a you know, four Beautiful. or five awesome well, we'll have to tell the listeners later about that one yeah Tatum George Will yeah, I just feel like this is not the end. I feel like we'll definitely have a lot more uh, <laughs> things to go over, and I think we can't encapsulate all the stuff we have to talk about in this hour. Like, I think um, we'd love to work with you guys um, and see what we can do in terms of sharing the stories. And because, um, yeah, I think it's really important personally. I think that uh, learning all the, the philosophy and the, the religious and the spiritual aspects of of Australian culture and the, the sixty thousand plus years of History is going to be the pivotal point in our in history. Maybe, but like, a little change here could be a huge example for the rest of the world as well. That's the thing. Like we could be the stand up 
um, difference for the rest of the world is in terms of respecting of the ancient histories. So yeah. I think, yeah, I just want to acknowledge you for that because that's going to be... No, good on you, man. That's, that's what we can do. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, keeping it short and sweet, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. But I think, yeah, I'm super excited to go down this rabbit hole of a journey, um, especially expressing Indigenous culture subconsciously and consciously. Like, I think that's where it is. I think people who don't really understand, they just see it and, oh, okay, that's it. But they don't really know how to bring it closer to them, in a sense. So I think, yeah, building that bridge between our audience and your own, I think that'd be absolutely amazing. Last one. Um, I just can say it's, yeah, it's really um, inspiring to see someone who understands, you know, Aussie culture and Aboriginal culture and bring it together really to be about Australian culture altogether um, because that's how we're going to close the gap when it comes down to it, you know, yeah. the, whether it's, you know, the economic difficulties or the, or the racism element still in the culture. I know that as a group, we know we're for that as well. And the more people that um, you know can speak fairly on both areas, the better we're going to have success-wise to get it get it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the only way. You know, silence is not the way forward. So, thanks for having me, guys. I've really I've enjoyed this. Let's talk again. Thank you, John Carty, for being the curious the curious curator for the custodians of our land. Oh. You're the man, John Carty. Go check him out on social media and go into the museum. Go say hello. Thanks for listening or watching to What's Your Voyage. Please leave us a review on whatever podcast service you're streaming us from. You know, interact with us on social media. And thank you very much for being on the voyage.